Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. You're listening to Disinformed, a mini-series from There Are No Girls on the Internet. I'm Bridget Todd. Democratic candidates actually outperformed Joe Biden among key Democratic constituencies, among African-Americans, among young people. CBS News projects that both Democrats have won those two seats. Really an extraordinary development given to not only just about what's changed in the state of Georgia, once a ruby red state. The morning of January 6th, I woke up beaming. There had been a historic win in the Georgia Senate runoff election shifting the power of the Senate. And people were crediting Black women like Stacey Abrams for the win. I felt like I was truly walking in the power of Black women and that that power was impossible for anyone to ignore. 
Y'all, we didn't even get a day. Hours later, that feeling of power from the Georgia runoffs was replaced with feelings of fear and powerlessness as I watched violent insurrectionists storm the Capitol. Our moment of joy overshadowed. And the worst part, we likely wouldn't even be here if people with power had just listened to Black women. Black women have been warning about the spread of disinformation for years. In 2014, it was Black women like Shafika Hudson who sounded the alarm about coordinated harassment campaigns meant to spread chaos, distortions, and confusion on social media. This was years before a Senate inquiry would confirm what these women had said all along, that bad actors were using social media to spread disinformation in the 2016 election. The report also confirmed that Black communities were their biggest targets. We already know that communities of color are disproportionately impacted by disinformation, but also, much of the foundational work to combat it has been driven by Black women researchers, organizers, and users. Women like Shireen Mitchell have been talking about the ways they saw disinformation target our communities since the very beginning. In 1999, Shireen created Digital Sisters, the first organization dedicated to bringing women and girls of color online. And later, she founded Stop Online Violence Against Women, a project that addresses laws and policies to provide protections for women online. In January 2020, Shireen authored a report outlining the past and present of disinformation campaigns used during election cycles, starting from 2016 leading up to today. Black women aren't often cited as experts on disinformation, and while it impacts our communities the most, our stories about it are not often centered. Shireen's pretty pissed about this. And now, on the heels of the disinformation-fueled riots at the Capitol, and as more and more institutions and outlets start to see disinformation as a real problem, she wonders, what took you so long? Shireen's life work has been carving out space for women of color and Black women online. And it all started in an unlikely place, an arcade. So you have been involved with the internet almost for as long as the internet has been a thing. How did you get started online? Like, what were your early experiences on the internet like? I started coding at 10 years old in Harlem in the projects. But one of the other things I used to do after school every day was to go down the other side of the street, heading back home, but across the street to the arcade room. That's when I fell in love with video games, which is we're talking, you know, the stand up machines, the early days, Pac-Man, Centipede. Uh, like This is where my age shows up. We're talking <laughs> um, Space Invaders. Like we're talking the, the, some of the original games. I would go and play. I didn't realize at the time I was the only girl. Uh, The store owner didn't want me there because I would play the entire time on a single quarter. So the store owner couldn't make any money. And the boys were mad that I would beat them and they didn't want to play the games either if I was present. And so the truth is my mom thought that I was going there every day in, in, in hindsight, like we had debates about this when I got older in hindsight, as we were fighting about me going there every day, she thought I was going there because there was some boy there I liked. When all I was doing is going there to beat boys at the game, um, the, that, um, that, you know, there was something else going on. So, and also she was, you know, Harlem Bronx, you know, the, the life of, of a black girl in spaces like that, where she was like, as your mother, I'm just going to bring you home if I can. And she did. So she was like, if you really, really, really do love these games, then I'm going to buy you know, we're, we're poor, but she was like, I'm going to buy, you know, the Atari, which is what she did. And you get to play these games at home. And so I'm thinking I get to go play by myself with no interference. Heck yeah. I'm gonna do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, I don't get the boys acting all stupid. I don't get the story. Like, in my in my view of that, I was like, absolutely. My mom gonna pay. Now, mind you, she spent a lot of money on that, so I didn't even understand the cost of that at that at that particular time. That led me from just the gaming to what she when she realized that I actually did love it to um to the to the home computer that she bought me, and then I started coding. So it went from that trajectory to there. All by myself, by the way. My mom didn't understand any of it. She just knew there's something I love, so she just bought it. Is is that why you feel compelled in your professional life now as an adult to carve out these spaces for women of color and Black women online that we can talk about our experiences on the internet? That absolutely, 100%. It's like no one even understands what my experience was in that moment. And everyone who had were projecting upon me were projecting a whole bunch of different things than what I was dealing with. It was like, I just love to play the video game. I just love to code. Like the concepts of everything else in between. By the way, also people telling me, even at 10, I can't code because I'm black from Harlem and a girl. I'm going click, 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 click. Uh, machine telling me I could code. I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, you're telling me I can't, but this machine told me I, I know how to do it, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So the concept of someone saying to me or anyone else who looks like me that somehow you can't code just because of what you look like, I was like, where does that come from? I don't know that world. And so, yes, so it fast forwards me into a broader context of why I looked at forming Digital Sisters because I wanted to form Digital Sisters for the girls who weren't me. The girls who didn't, who sent the message and believed the message they, they couldn't code, believe that, that there's some part of their identity made it impossible to, for them to even know how or to navigate that space. So I always tell people after forming Digital Sisters, one of the things that was very clear to me was the easiest part of my job was what? Teaching girls to code. The rest of my job was dealing with parents who were stopping their kids from coding, parents who were stopping their kids from getting online, uh, the system in schools that were doing the same thing, the system in general where we now move into this tech space that we're in in 2020 of dystopia that basically said, we have the right to tell you you cannot be in this space, you do not belong in this space, and you have no reason to even think that you have ownership in this space. Shireen wanted to reimagine the internet as a space where women and girls of color could feel supported, heard, and protected. But she also couldn't shake the idea that maybe these spaces weren't so safe for these women and girls. And that assumed lack of safety was a big problem. In those moments, there were moments where I had to have conversations with parents, especially moms, saying, your daughter will be safe if I teach her how to code. Your daughter will be safe if she goes online. Because that was one of the reasons why they unplugged their daughters, but they had their sons go run amok online in any form, right? It, it was the fear factor harms on their daughters. In some ways, there's a part of me that said, here we are in 2020, and I was lying to those moms. Didn't know I was lying. Because it wasn't just them being worried about predators because that really wasn't the thing they had to worry the most about. They had to worry about their surroundings more than that. It was about the industry of which that would be built, that would be built to target them and un and, and, and target them in a way that no one would show up to in, in, to protect them in any in, in any fashion. So when I formed Stop On Violence Against Women, I I specifically formed it because I wanted to have a sense of what women of color saw and what their experience was online. But it was that moment that I started to look at the work around looking at what online violence and, and um, online harassment looked like 
specifically to women of color because it was different than white women. It was different than men in general, but also um, white men in specifically. Disinformation, especially when it's weaponized against women and people of color, doesn't just stay online. It can have real-world consequences like voter suppression or the kind of violence we saw at the Capitol. And this has been a focus of Shireen's work. So how have you seen disinformation play out, especially as it pertains to women of color online? Yes, absolutely. And you and I know about women like Shafika Hudson and Anissa Crockett, who basically helped to identify, you know, w- you know, uh, ca- uh, fake accounts pretending to be Black women. It's looking at the way in which people of color, Black people specifically, are trying to change their, their environment, trying to stop the harassment, trying to stop being killed by the state, trying to stop all these things that are happening to them and their communities, and they're seen as the problem of which they should not be protected, but also of which that any violence upon them is acceptable, whether it's digital violence or uh, in real in real life violence, which we know now has translated to organizing events like what happened in Kenosha, right? We have seen this trajectory. What I'm saying is I have witnessed it and I've collected data on that trajectory. I'm saying I not only know that this was going to happen where we are in 2020, is that I have been trying to tell us and prepare us for it before we got here. My report in the beginning of January 2020 that really defined what digital world suppression was, was to define what we had already collected data on, targeted Black voters, then which which we define campaigns to do so, of which to give strategies to stop it. And nothing has been done. We have still not been protected. We have systems in place, not only from from tech companies, but even our government systems that are accepting harms against us. If people with power had listened to women like Shireen, would things have gone differently? Would our social media platforms been as vulnerable for bad actors to exploit like they did in the 2016 election? Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy. 
the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. I think what you just really crystallized for me is, and I hate to keep relying on this and keep going back to this, but, you know, if we had listened, like so much in our country might have gone differently if we had just listened to Black women who have been talking about this, collecting data about this, studying this, raising the alarm about this for so long. And here it is. It's, it kind of seems like people get People get on have got have only just now started to get on board and it's so late. It might be too late. I feel strongly about that. I feel I feel extremely strongly about that. I mean, I you know, I have a pen. I left it up there. I can't remember when I wrote that one. I think it was 2016. I don't even remember the date when I wrote that pen to basically say I'm going to put this moment up here on Twitter to basically say if we listen to black women. The hacking of 2016 would have never happened. And I haven't updated as much recently because so much has happened. But when I put that up there, it was to stay up there forever until people got it. And the sad part is from that moment to present, people are coming to me now going, Shereen, I get it. And my thing is, why didn't you hear me before? Why do you get it now? And you know why do people get it now, Bridget? Like, seriously, you know why they get it now? Why do you think because it's happening to them. It's happening to their families. It's happening in their in front of their eyes in a way that they can't look away. But when we were speaking, they could pretend, oh, it's just us being angry. They could pretend that it was just us sort of being sort of out of sync with the rest of the world. Not that we were seeing 
what we were knowing going going to happen down the road, like that we were predicting it, that we were trying to collect the data and present it, of which I've done. We our first report was the our first report was the first report to even say that Russia targeted African Americans overwhelmingly over any other group. Then there's a report that comes from Oxford, the report that comes from the Senate Intelligence Committee. But my report somehow gets missing in the rest of the dialogue. Right? Because they needed they needed all these other quote unquote institutions to validate what I said. And this has happened, and this happens over and over again. There are multiple institutions, even in this moment, coming up with versions of my report for them to validate that I was correct. Instead of saying, let me credit Shireen and elevate what she's been doing so that we can have more reports from her because she knew what she was looking at and continue that work. Right. That's something that I really, I see a lot in putting together this podcast about disinformation, how rare it is, how rare it is to find Black women cited as experts on disinformation when we have been the ones who have been raising the alarm, studying it, writing, writing the reports, trying to legitimize it as an issue for so long. Why, why do you think that is? I, I mean, like there's a hashtag like cite black women, right? It's, it's really very problematic. In my opinion, in many ways, is that um, there's, there's, a, there's a problem with people being able to credit black women for the work that they've done. I don't know why that is in, in its full entirety. I, I think that there is some resistance. I think there's some social commentary that which I feel about the way in which I grew up, right? Which is people still telling me that there's no way I can code at 10 coming from Harlem. Like there was something about the, the body that I have and the existence, that, the place that I was born in that says that anything I say or do is not valid in comparison to anyone else. And so in other words, to validate me, somebody else has to do it instead of me. That someone else actually has to be able to say even my own identity is valid externally. And we, we've seen this, Bridget, with 1619. We've seen this with other aspects of us telling our narrative. Katherine Johnson existed and people were still pretending that Katherine Johnson is not the reason that a, that a white man made it to the moon. Right? That, that, that the concept that we are not a part of this historical through line as to why America is what it is and all the pieces that we were a part of. Instead, what they do is remove us out of those pieces. So when I say um, why they don't add us to some of these aspects to cite us, it's to make sure that we're removed from the historical narrative. You don't cite me, you don't know I exist. What do you think, how do you think things might have been different if people had meaningfully listened to and centered the Black women like yourself, like Shafika Hudson, when you all tried to raise the alarm about this? If they had listened to us even in 2018, what we're up against now would have been totally different and we've been totally prepared and we've been able to knock out most, if not the majority of the disinformation that we're faced with. And that tells me that we were never ever wanting to be prepared for reality. We wanted to live in an ahistorical framework. Taking us out of the timeline means that you get to have some version of the world that you feel comfortable with. And that you're saying to us that that version of the world does not include us. Part of this is just me being annoyed on social media, but I can't tell you how many times I have seen 
this like breaking news, new report, you know, bad actors are impersonating black people on social media to try to influence the election. And it's so difficult for me to not reply saying, yeah, you could have just listened to the any number of black women who have been saying this since day one. It's so it's so difficult to see people make this discovery over and over and over again. It's a bit like being in that movie Groundhog Day where exactly. we people, black women have been saying this forever, forever. And it's and now like, it's a miracle. To the party. A miracle. Someone discovered it. A miracle. Someone found this this the, the, these these accounts and doing these various things in these various ways. And it's like. Uh, you're just seeing one piece of it, the stuff that we've been following since, I don't know, 2013. It, it is it's amazing. And what's more amazing is the way that those people get elevated as if they actually did discover it. No citations to any of us. No, none of that. And that's, and then, and then when we say something about it, we're the bad guys because somehow you just learning about it means that um, it's important, but us, who've been doing it for years, is like, oh, we know you were doing it, but that was cute. We're, we're doing it in this, like, as if we were, um, as if we were, as if it was like a hobby. This is, oh, that was a cute little hobby that you did. No, I have data. I can collect data. I've been collecting data. We've been doing synopsis. This is not a cute thing. I have, I have experience in most of this work anyway. I eat also my technological background, but to say that somehow all of my, experience and skill sets is not as important as some reporter who decided that their beat was disinfo in 2020. Yeah. I mean, the more I hear from you, the more this sounds like an intentional erasing of our labor and our contributions and our work. I'm sorry to tell you. Yes. And it's not new. I let me, let me also explain to you like the basis of this, like one of the things that, that happens in the tech industry is around use cases when you're trying to build tech. And so in, mo- in multiple aspects of this, you have, to, you have to come up with what you think the technology can be, but also what the problem is that you think the technology can solve. And so when, whenever I look at use cases, I look at use cases from my perspective, particularly around my community, issues that impact my community. And I think about that from a perspective that could help other communities. I do not think about technology building from the concept of the people who are the most privileged to help them. I think about it from centering the most marginalized and then building something that would help them and save them or protect them and then elevate that to everybody else. We operate in a very different system, not just the American system in general, but also a technological system. We operate from the top tier level, people who are the most privileged coming up with something that works for them and then trying to nudge everybody else below to use it, even at their own detriment. And so when you come up with use cases, you have to think about like, what are the things you're trying to solve? But what are the, one of the other pieces of use cases that you think about, you think about people's narrative. When you look at someone's narrative and you think about how you solve a problem based on people's narrative, you have to think about them from a very diverse perspective in many, many ways. I've been in multiple aspects of these, of these events, white papers and the like, where I have come up with a technology that will eventually people want, but the narrative they don't want because the narrative is centered on a woman of color. And when I think about that, the erasure is they will come out of that, coming up with some technological solution, but writing out and wiping out the narrative where it originated from, which is women of color. More after a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. 
May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. So how can we make sure that our work, our labor, our voices don't go erased in these conversations that are so integral to our communities? 
That is the most important part. And I am Bridget, you and I are in spaces on a, on a daily basis where we're still struggling to make this happen. Um, I have been in aspects where stories get told by white people instead of us. I've, I've had people repeat my story in ways that made it look like it was not connected to me at all. I've, I've seen versions. I've also seen people present my data as if it was theirs. I've, I've seen so many versions of that. And so I think the challenge is always for us to decide when we stand up but also decide when we basically hold people accountable. I think that what we are seeing in some ways when people say, hey, Shafika, myself, uh, Sadet and others existed is basically trying to say, you just showed up in 2020 and this has been going on since 2013. That's seven years. You don't get to have ownership over something, i.e. discovering fake accounts pretending to be Black people in 2020. And everybody should be stepping up to that because we've documented over and over and over again. And anyone that dares to do it should be held accountable. And we should all be, all of us, anyone who's hearing my voice should be able to say, we do not allow this to go without us being cited or us being quoted in anything that references that conversation. Hell yes. <laughs> I cannot, I could not plus one that enough. It is so, it's, it's so complicated, you know, because I think that on the one hand, it's like we're being told that we should just be happy to be a footnote on something that's ours, that we created. We should just be happy to be in the conversation at all. The conversation that we started. That's, that's exactly right. It's like, oh, we're inviting you to this conversation. No, no, no. We started this conversation. What are you talking about? You're inviting us to the conversation. You are lucky that we will even show up to your event versus you thinking you're inviting us. It's, it's a very different, like just the position to be in multiple times. I've been in multiple rooms like that. And it's just like, no, 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 no. This conversation is based on our first report. <laughs> this conversation is not like a, a nuance because other people got their hands in it and they come up with other versions of it. No, I thank you for coming up with other versions of my report, but my report is first. Erasure of that is is part of this narrative. And this is why I've been so so vocal. But the funny thing is, Bridget, leading up to the election, funny enough, people are like, oh, Shereen, now we see your report. Oh, Shereen, now we know what you were saying. And that's the that's the bad part, right? It's like, for those that are going, oh, finally, I, I now get what you were saying back then because I didn't get it then, right? Fine. You didn't get it then. But then you have to credit me for getting it. There's a real cost to allowing lies and distortions to dominate our political discourse. How many real issues have gone overlooked because we were too busy discussing a conspiracy theory? And now, after the attacks at the Capitol, the media is still giving conspiracy theorists and bad faith charlatans a platform to further spread and legitimize their lies. We're in a, this whole year has been basically a culture of disinformation. We're either talking about the disinformation or talking about combating the disinformation. We are not talking about election politics. We're not talking about policies. And that's the failure of us dealing with disinformation right now. We are in the, 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 the sort of the ocean of disinformation. So either we're trying to counter it or, or we're trying to, um, or, or there's some levels of it being elevated unwillingly, um, whether it's us trying to uh, you know, trying to counter it and then uh, unfortunately amplifying it 
or we have um, media houses who think they're, they're talking about disinformation or these these conspiracy theorists, which, by the way, d- drives me absolutely crazy, Bridget. It's, it's the elevation of the conspiracy theorists as if they're mainstream, so much so that we now have candidates running with conspiracy theories as their marker. I don't know how that makes sense and how we can't look at that and say, have we elevated conspiracy theories this much to the extent that it's considered mainstream instead of a conspiracy and should not be considered a part of a narrative or conversation to be had? What my struggle is, is that we aren't having policy discussions. We're having disinfo discussions. And I am not saying that it's wrong to have disinfo discussions. What I am saying is that because we're having so much more conversations and disinfo discussions, we're not elevating enough of the facts, the real policies, the real impacts, the real the, the, the lives of people. What we have done as a society is failed telling more of the factual narrative versus the disinfo. As we are all working to stop the disinfo, one of the things we have failed at is telling the true stories. That's not going to stop me from doing this work, by the way. I'm just making a statement about the visual of what that difference is. And so when people think they're going to show up to represent me or speak for me or speak for my community with no context or understanding that, not only is it disingenuous, but it's a full frontal assault. Do you, when you look on the horizon, do you feel hopeful or does it feel like you don't even know how we're going to get out of this mess. I'm glad you asked that question because I think that what I just, and and this is also a good way to like uplift after what I said because it sounds like everything is horrible. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's true. (laughs) Parts of that is actually true. Um, Why would I say, why would I do this if I didn't think that we, us individuals, not the government who's failing us, not, not the healthcare system who has failed Black people in this country for a long time. I'm not going to remove that from this narrative. What I am saying is I fully feel in all of my being, I am our ancestors' greatest dreams. Like I know that everything I'm doing, all the things I'm embodying, every choice that I've made so far to try to fight this, for my community, despite being attacked doing so, is to make sure that I'm helping to protect us in some way. Who else is going to protect us? Who else is going to know what's going on? So I ask people to show up too, for us and for others, to not only protect our democracy, but protect individuals. What I'm saying is what we can do to stop that, stop the disinformation about the the, um, the virus, the vaccines, stop the disinformation about our democracy and the ways in which we can vote because we have the power to change that. Stop the disinformation from the aspects of what what kind of lives we can all possibly live if we weren't given tax, you know, giving giving the the wealthiest in this country more tax cuts while we get nothing, right? Like. Most of people, what people don't understand about the disinformation that our culture and our history has been built on is when we erase certain parts of it, disinformation feeds off of it. So I'm asking us all to participate in knowing and understanding our entire history as to why we got here. But also you have the ability to counter the disinformation. Use the truth sandwich. 
basically, you know, if you see something that's disinformation, put out the facts, debunk the disinfo, and put out the facts again. You don't have to get into heated debates, but do not allow the disinformation to have more space in this in our ecosystem than the facts. What I'm saying is that I think what's viscerally happening for some folks is that they're understanding there's a broader context here. There's a power grab here. There's a whole different understanding about American exceptionalism. We are not exceptional in any, in any way. We have horrific versions of our story and we all need to accept that with the hope that we can change it and not repeat it. My thing is I am hoping that we understand why so many people didn't know Tulsa existed until Watchmen, a TV series, sci-fi, for people to even believe it existed, right? It's that removal of history in that way that makes it impossible for us not to repeat it. So telling that story, 1619 and others, telling those stories allow us to all walk into our truth. There's so many people that still think that some of those stories are revisionism of our history when it's the truth of our history. Like we, that's part of why I'm asking people to report disinformation because I'm saying you get to say, this is a false narrative. You get to act upon it and tell the truth and you get to report the false narrative. So we have a story to tell so that we don't repeat any of this. So I am hopeful. I do think there's a lot more people who understand what's going on. But I also know that there, in, in, in all honesty, there, there's a sliver of this, of this country that doesn't want to ever, ever move forward. And they're okay with the horrific nature of this country. I know that. I'm not oblivious to that. However, what I am saying, there are more of us that sees what we can be. So I don't agree with the narrative, this is not America. This is America. It's exactly who America has always been. But what I'm asking you to do is be hopeful with me is that now that you see who we've always been, that you work towards changing to become what we should be. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? We'd love to hear from you at hello at tangody.com. Disinformed is brought to you by There Are No Girls on the Internet. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our supervising producer and engineer. Mike Amato is our producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. For more great podcasts, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. 
When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card.